Hello and welcome to the big topic in women's MMA. Frank Posen here along with Shawan Humes. Don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com and my other podcast, Frank Posen's Big Bad Podcast. I will be re- taking a little time off on that podcast, but I will return with it next week. Okay, before we get going on this thing, I just wanted to talk a little Toronto Raptors because, uh, you know, that's where I am is Toronto. And um, uh, with all the stuff going on in the NBA right now, as we all know, Kyle Lowry is leaving the Toronto Raptors for, to go to the Miami Heat on a signed and trade. So we'll see what they get back for him. Uh, but it was reported today by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that Masai Ujiri has signed a new contract with the Raptors and he will be president and vice chairman. So he will continue on uh, doing that. And of course, the GM there is Bobby Webster. And um, that's great news for Raptors fans because, of course, there's been talk over the last couple of years that he might leave. And in fact, I believe the uh, uh, owner of the Washington Wizards was fined for trying to tamper. Okay, so uh, what do you think, Schwan? Uh, Toronto, because a lot of places would uh, give him a blank check for whatever he wanted because he's so good at his job. So them to get him back kind of stabilizes the organization and reassures the fan base that they're moving in the right direction. Well, the team has great ownership. You know, it's uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is uh, they also own the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, the the uh, other chairman, I guess the other vice chairman, who is still there is the original owner of the Toronto Raptors, Larry Tenenbaum. And so I'm sure Larry uh, had a lot to do with uh, Masai uh, re-signing. I think... Uh, uh, we're all very happy about it here. There's been a lot of, you know, skepticism. Oh, he'll leave, he'll leave, you know, big money in the U.S. But he was paying, getting paid good money here, so I don't know what the problem was. And uh, uh, You just never know. You just never know. He might feel underappreciated, might want another challenge. He's already won there, but he wants to see if he can win somewhere else. Yeah, when you're operating that level, it's hard to understand what those kind of guys are thinking. Yeah, I guess so, but I'm happy he resigned. All right. Anyway, let's get on with what we usually talk about here. And let's start with, uh, first of all, on last Saturday's UFC show, uh, Miko Montano missed weight by like seven pounds. <laughs> Didn't we kind of predict that last week, Schwan? Uh Yeah, you did have some concerns. Yeah, so uh, she's now been released. So, Swan, she, she gave a statement on uh instagram i guess it was and to me i mean i read it and it amounted to me i felt that it was just a bunch of damn excuses okay yeah i i didn't think i didn't necessarily know she made excuses or not but i will say that when i read it i'm like this isn't going to convince anybody who's against you to be on your side and it's not going to change the mind of anybody who's for you she said a bunch of stuff that really didn't provide any facts or concrete reasons for her not making the weight. So I'm like, this isn't really helping your cause. I mean, look, there, there's ways to make weight, man. A lot of uh, fighters these days hire nutritionists, full-time nutritionists, or guys who are experts, guys like Mike Dolce and guys like that. And, and maybe that's what she should have done. I have no idea, okay? But I do know this. It was too much. And uh, Dana White said in an interview a couple of days ago with uh, Farah Hanoon of uh, MMA Junkie 
that uh, the impression I got is she was finished, and so she is. So personally, you know, she needs to go somewhere if she's going to fight again, make weight a few times, and then maybe they'll let her back in. Well, I don't know if it's a meant. I've had there were some fighters tweeting with on Twitter who were talking about they think it might be mental, but then they're then again they were saying if it's actually a medical issue that's keeping you from making weight, then you should probably address that medical issue first before you're trying to fight because trying to fight with any sort of medical outstanding medical issue really well, isn't good for your long term health. We've seen that, and we 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 know of that in the past. Like we know, for example, that Kayla Harrison has a medical issue that may prevent her from making 145 pounds, okay? Uh, she's never addressed it, okay? But I know that she has a medical issue. So yeah, you well, never know. She, it's not, it's not, but given the fact she's going to, it's not an issue she's really had yes. to deal with. In the case of, yeah, yeah, but in case of Montano, Montano, you lost the world championship. Like you had a lot of momentum behind the championship. You're forced to move to weight class you're not nearly as effective at. Even if they kept her, so she can't make band and weight. What are you gonna do? Move her to featherweight now? Like, it it's just it's just really you'll see a lot of money, and it's personally cost her a lot of money and a lot of opportunities. She went okay. from from an underdog story who everybody was like, look at the underdog. She beat all these veteran UFC. She won the title against one of the most tenured fighters in MMA history. To nobody can stand her because they think she's not a professional or or not committed to the sport. I've never seen someone's ball well, drop so quick. The statement that she made didn't do her any favors. No, it did not. All right. Okay, let's go on to the other fights that were on this show. First of all, Cheyenne Bays, or Bays, or however it's pronounced, uh, beat uh, Gloria DePaula by uh, a knockout. It was a head. So, to me, I thought it was a fluke, okay? Because what actually happened is uh, um, Cheyenne took her down. Gloria was landing elbows from the bottom, okay? Like she was dominating her from the bottom. And then uh, Cheyenne got up. And while uh, Gloria was trying to get up, uh, she hit her with the head kick. Schwan, she was very fortunate that wasn't an illegal blow because she would have been DQ'd if it was. I mean, a second earlier, and it is an illegal blow. Yeah, well, I mean, you'll look at people looking for two ends and say she's lucky, or they'll be like, she timed that perfectly. She took advantage of the situation. I don't know which one it is. Uh, the fight, you were right. Gloria was causing her some issues on the ground, even though um, Cheyenne took the, took the fight to the ground. I, I respect the Cheyenne taking the fight to the ground because it's clear she's not good off her back. So her is much better than her being on bottom position. If nothing else, you can stall out or at least make it look like you're winning the rounds if the judges favor position over, over damage done. What we know about Cheyenne is she's a good athlete. She's a fairly dynamic striker. We still don't know any any more than that about her so far. Uh, DePaula got, like you said, in a transition position, and Baez is the kind of striker with the kind of athleticism that if she's going to catch you in that kind of position, she's most likely going to end your night. So we don't know anything more about her than, than we knew the first fight. We still don't know if she can grapple any better because she was getting chopped up from the top. We don't know that she's great in control because she didn't maintain control. And um, all we know is she She's dynamic, and she's a striker, and that's all we still know. About it. And, and, and. The she win cusses a lot. Was, well, it's like I told you. I, I don't I don't care about that. It's like I told you. I do not analyze lucky punches, okay, or kicks for that matter. And that 
was a lucky blow. Okay. She was very fortunate that it was legal because if it was not legal, she would have been DQ'd because the fight would have had to have been stopped. Right. And, um, fight would have had been stopped. Now, one thing that came out of this is that, you know, after her last fight where she got sat on for 15 minutes by her opponent, I think it was Montserrat Ruiz, um, Cheyenne and her husband left Houston and moved back to Las Vegas to train with uh, Eric Nixon at um, Extreme Couture. And then uh, for this fight here, she won a $50,000 bonus, which is great. And then I hear all of this uh, whining about fighter pay being low and shit like that. Okay. And I think people usually, when they complain about stuff like that, they're taking it way out of context. Okay. And I think in this case, that's exactly what they're doing. So there's two things I want to point out about fighter pay and Cheyenne buys. One, this is only her second fight in the UFC. And she lost her first. Two, if you want, if you don't want, if you don't want to be broke, don't move across the country. Yeah, um, sometimes the fighters don't tell the whole story because I, as you know, worked with fighters and they're like, "Well, I'm going to go to this camp and I'm moving over here," and I'm like, "Well, how are you that?" And they're yeah. like, "Oh, you know," and then it's like you, it's like you know, if you get a new job and you move across the state and the job doesn't pay a certain amount or you only get a certain amount, and you move from. California, well, your money doesn't go as far. Hell, your money doesn't go as far from San Antonio to Austin. It, that's an impact. That's a real-life expense that all of us have to deal with. So that's not something that's specific to fighters. And secondly, um, I'm, not, I'm not against fighters getting paid. I'm not against fighters getting a better opportunity. But the fighters have more control over that than we do. Fighters could get together in a union or something to generate more money. But the fighters rather come to us and, have, and tell us about the problem. Yeah. I don't have any – I don't – over fixing the problem if y'all aren't willing to put your careers on the line. There's nothing I can do. Me yeah. not buying is going to help anything. Dana White doesn't care about me. He's gonna- this is this is why this is why I don't whine about that stuff. Look, at, I agree with you. And here's the thing: a union is not happening. Okay, that's it. It's not happening. If somebody, a prominent fighter, got behind a union. Let me give you an example. John Jones. Isn't he having a money dispute with the UFC? Yeah. Well, what if he got behind the calls for a union? Yeah, that's never going to happen, though. That's the problem. No, that's the the problem right there. Fighters by nature are selfish. And the one fighter who has really gotten behind the union is not a prominent enough fighter. I'm talking about Leslie Smith. Not yeah. a prominent enough fighter to get other fighters to go in with her. Like well, some will, but most won't. It's 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 that, but it's also the second half of it is like changes for races or gender. The victory will come eventually, but the thing is, in MMA, everybody wants to not not just they don't want to make a sacrifice unless they're a guaranteed victory. And for any change to come, somebody's gonna have to put their career on the line and say no. It shorten their career or miss out on something in their career so that people down the line and nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to take a step back. They only want to start yeah. talking when they get cut from the UFC or when they're no longer winning. By that time, we don't care about you. Somebody's got to take that risk now, and nobody wants to. The UFC is on the yeah. same page. The fighters that's, are totally on the same page. Schwan, that's why I mentioned John Jones, because if he 
instead of whining about money and doing nothing about it, got behind a call for a union, it might actually be successful. True, but why can he do that? Why can he whine? Because he's made a lot of money. Well, I'm not saying he should or he shouldn't. I'm saying that he could, and if he did, it might work. Might, just never going to happen. I don't think so either, but like you, you, said, know, you never know. He'll complain. John Jones will complain until he gets his money, then he'll shut up. Just like Coward Cerrone complained and Aldo complained until they got their money. Then they stopped complaining. Okay, go. let's let's go on to the other fight that was on this show, which is Ginyu uh, Fry uh, beat uh, – who the hell did she beat? Ashley Yoder. Yeah, Ashley Yoder by unanimous decision. And this fight was about as bad as I thought it would be, okay? Look at Ashley Yoder has been in the UFC since 2016. Why is she still working there? Okay, uh, and, I, and I'll good. tell you another. And I'll tell you another thing. Jin Yu Fry needs to show me some killer instinct. Okay, she had an opportunity at the beginning of the second round. She wobbled. You know, she wobbled Ashley. She looked like she could have finished her. And she just didn't do it. She was too damn cautious. She's been like that her whole career. And you know what, Juan? She even commented on it, commented about it after the fight. She admitted that she was disappointed in herself for not going for a finish. Yeah, part of it is because a lot of her skill set is based on her athleticism. She's very comfortable when she's able to pull clearly away from someone. And um, that's when she feels comfortable. But instead of ramping it up, she'll often just see because she doesn't really want to take a lot of risks. She's not a risk-taking kind of fighter. And even though Ashley Yoder is the kind of fighter you would think she would finish, Ashley Yoder is still a little bit bigger naturally than Jin Yu Fry is. And Ashley Yoder, tell me whichever you want about her being a terrible fighter. She's made some improvements. She can't build off her jabs effectively, but she was catching Jen with that jab. She was catching her with her kicks to the leg and the body, and Jen didn't like that. So Jen wouldn't open up all the way because she was afraid of getting caught by Ashley coming in. Ashley had some moments of success in that fight, more moments than I would expect against someone with that her record against someone like Jen Fry. So the problem is, these are the, guy, the girls they've been giving her recently are like a step or two steps below her as far as athleticism and three or four steps below Schwan. as far as experience. Schwan, 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 hold on, hold on. We've already seen what will happen when Jinyu Fry some, fights somebody who's pretty good. And I'm talking about Kay Hansen, okay? She's going to lose, okay? So yeah. it's when she, they're going to put her in there against the ranked opponent, and she's going to lose. And she's going to lose. She's, not, she's only going to beat a certain level of opponent, and that's it. And for her to win fights uh, against higher-level opponents, she has to take chances. She has to be more aggressive. She does have to take chances. But as you saw, even against someone like Ashley Yoder, she lacked the power to put Yoder away. She's not that kind of grappler where she can have submission. So if she faces better opponents, I, I don't think you'll see as much aggression because they ha- there's a bigger price to pay. If she would have shown this aggression against Kay Hansen, she might have gotten knocked out because she was actually moving her hands and putting some combinations together. And later around, she tried to put some heat on Ashley Yoder. Against the person, but better, she's not going to take those chances because that might get her either really beat up or stopped. And she does not want to get really beaten up, nor does she want to get stopped. That's not the kind of fighter she is. She's a 
with some skills who essentially likes to get a lead and then sit on it. She isn't, she's not going to make a fight any more unnecessarily difficult. She's not going to push yeah. any further than she has to. The only good thing well, is now. You know what it means? You know what it means to me? You know what it means to me? It, you know yeah. what it means to me? It means that she's going nowhere. Well, well, she won't. She, like I said, she, she has gotten better. She's a little bit more poised. She's showing a, a bigger variety of skills. So now when she gets to face a bigger opponent, instead of just taking a beating, She'll be able to navigate things and at least stay in a fight to where she could do something later on. Oh, but it's one other, her- hold on, one other, one other thing. Jinyu Fry is Jinyu Fry is thirty six years old. Yeah. She, so, yeah, that's that's why time's she made a wasting, man. That's why she made the change in the first place because she's no longer at a bigger weight class and getting older, she can no longer physically dominate people. So now she's got to start actually using all her tools so she can actually. Navigate because Schwan, Schwan, yes, Schwan. When yes. she was when she was fighting in Invicta at Adamweight, she wasn't dominating anybody anyway. She was squeaking her wins with judges' gifts. She wasn't dominating in the sense that she's just punishing people, but she wasn't opening herself up to any more necessary punishment. It was two people not doing very much, and one person did a little bit more. She wasn't taking beatings, is what I meant. In the UFC, the girls are athletic enough where they can give her beatings unless she has a deeper skill set. That's why she added to her camp because she knows that whatever she's doing, she can't control these girls. She can't just jump on a lead and eke out a win. She's going to have to fight them, so she needs more tools. The only thing, she, she's not at a level good enough where she can beat elite girls. And when she starts moving back up, you're right. Is she in the same weight class as Macy Barber? Sorry? She, which weight class is she in? Jen is in. She's in. What are you like, Jen Fry? Yeah. Jen Fry is a strawweight. I'm trying to figure out who they're going to match her with next because they got her a couple wins in a row. Well, listen, I have no idea who they're going to match her up with next. I, 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 what I would say is this. I do not believe she is a UFC caliber fighter. You're probably correct. Okay. But by that, by that logic, neither is the other people she's been beating. Listen, you can only go so far with that, Sean. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. They're trying to build her back up and give her a second opportunity. And eventually, they're going to set her up for a name girl to beat her. Jenny Fry's been on this three-fight win streak, two-fight win streak. Now this girl comes and beats her, takes all that momentum, and moves forward. It seems to be the move they're doing with her. All right. And it actually noticed you be really sorry. Okay. Now, let's move on to Saturday's show. First of all, unfortunately, the uh, uh, title fight, Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pina, has been uh, postponed uh, Amanda tested positive for COVID-19, so that's going to happen later in the fall. But we still have three fights on here. When the fight's on here, I want to talk about those. First one, which is on the main card, is Angela Hill versus Tisha Torres at Strawweight. And this is a rematch. They uh, fought each other back in, what was it, 2015 or something like that? And yeah. uh, more recently, they were supposed to fight, but uh, Angela uh, got COVID-19, and it didn't happen, so now it's happening. And <laughs> I expect this fight to be 15 minutes of nothing because neither fighter is a dominant fighter. They both are strikers, and they both kind of – they don't have power, so it's just going to be pawing at each other, okay? That's what they do. You know, Tisha has that sidekick. Okay? That's the only thing she really has. Other than that, she's just going to pawing. You know, Angela Hill is just going to pot. Yeah, Angela even made a joke about it this week. She says, 
Oh, oh, fight on Saturday is going to be a hell of a lot better than the one we had back in 2015. You know what? I don't think so. Yeah, um, it's two fighters who who stick around because they're they're pretty good athletes and they're fairly experienced, but who haven't ever been able to really break through, through past a certain point. They're almost mirror images to each other because both are good athletes. Um, both have done well at the Invicta-type level, but neither has been able to really break through or consistently break through at the UFC level. Um, I think it'll be exciting to a certain degree because Tisha Torres, doesn't. she's not a power striker. She's more of a point fighter. She does a lot of volume. And Hill, she seems like she'll engage Hill in the kind of fight that, that'll be fairly exciting. But the thing is, neither one is a great finisher. Neither one is a great grappler. So it's like the fight should be, a, I'd say, kickboxing match maybe a, a somewhat sloppy kickboxing match between two non-finishers so you, you're gonna get lots of, you'll get lots of exchanges you'll get a fair amount of technique but you're not going to see a lot of damage done and you really shouldn't see a finish if you're going by both fighters history it'll be boring um you know i i find joy in all sorts of things but as far as it being dynamic yeah as far as it being shown the highest level of skills in men's or men's mixed martial arts you're probably right. You're not going to get that either. It'll probably be a paint-by-the-numbers type fight. These girls are more known by their personalities than they are actually. You know, Torres is known for dating well, with Bronco Pennington, and Hill's known more for her personality than her actual fighting, if we're being honest. Do you want to know what I see? Mm-hmm. I see if Angela Hill loses this fight, I see her retiring and moving to commentary. I can see that. She's been doing some of it already. That part she's good at because she knows how to talk. The problem is you've got to do more than talk in the cage. Um, it just—I I always tell people if she—if her personality, if her fighting ability matched with her personality and character, she'd be a superstar because she's funny, she's engaging, she's good looking. She has a she carries she's kind of a job. She carries a nerd culture. There's a lot you could do with someone like her, but she can never put enough wins together to really get anybody behind her. All right, anyways, let's go on to the next one because we're kind of talking about this one. And that's that. Oh, we have uh, also at Strawway, Carolina Kovalkiewicz against Jessica Penne. Oh, can these two be retired already? Well, I mean, Jessica's coming off a, a fairly, not exciting, but a fairly impressive win over an opponent who was in better shape than her, fresher than her, and more dominant than her. So she's picked up some kind of steam. Carolina, we have no idea what she has left. Last time we saw her, she looked wrecked. She looked ruined. She's lost three. In a, she's lost. She's lost three in a row, Sean. Yeah. Well, it's not just losing three in a row. It's how she's lost them and and the amount of punishment she's taken in them. Jessica is coming off of. Uh, she actually her last fight. She was off for two years because of a drug suspension. Schwan. Hello. Are you there? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I got you back now. What happened there? I have no idea. I just all of a sudden I could hear I heard you the whole time though. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Jessica actually, 
uh, one of the last fights, she was, com- was coming off of a drug suspension. I was surprised she won, actually. Uh, I don't even remember the fight. Uh, <laughs> what did I tell you? Uh, anyway, the point is, is uh, these are two fighters who I think should be the title. So I really have no other comment on that. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that Jessica Penne came back. I mean, everybody keeps complaining about fighter pay, and I'm like, She's been off for a couple of years. Is there nothing else she could do that would make, make more money than fighting in the UFC? Because I wasn't well, aware that the women fighters are making that kind of money. Okay, okay. she wor- she she works in the office at Alliance in San Diego. Hmm. Okay, so she's part. Of, I don't know if she does any training or anything like that, but uh, or coaching or anything like that. But I know she does work. It's similar to in, in the latter days when uh, who the hell am I thinking of? We've seen this before, where fighters uh, go to work in the office when they're at the end of their careers. Okay, and that's what she's been doing. She's been she and for the, all the time she was suspended, she was working in the office at Alliance in San Diego. Okay, Angela yeah. Hill trains there. Angela Hill trains there too, by the way. Yeah, this shouldn't be. This fight doesn't really have any repercussions as far as it being important because neither one is anywhere near the top 10. So it's just a fight. It seems like a fight to get to finish out contracts. I can't imagine either one of these fighters is going to be around here two years from now competing actively. Schwann, it's not even a gatekeeper match. Well, what do you mean? Well, meaning you have a young up-a-comer facing a veteran, you know, who's on the way down, that's what Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Correct. You're you're hundred percent. It's like it's just a, it's just, it's literally just a fight. There's no real storyline to it. There's no real importance to it. It's just two girls fighting. Okay, the third fight, which I'm trying to remember if it's at flyweight or strawweight, but it doesn't really matter much. We have Victoria Leonardo facing Melissa Gatto. Now Victoria, uh, I'm trying to remember if she uh, won her UFC debut. I think she no. lost. She, yeah, lost. she lost. TKO. So she trains at Elite Fighting Academy in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, she Her coach there is Brian Mason, I think is her boyfriend as well. And she used to be an executive. Okay. Now, Melissa Gatto is very interesting because she's actually, this is her UFC debut, but she's actually been signed to the UFC since 2019. Okay. So first, she had a drug suspension. Okay, for diuretics. Then after that, she had some injuries. And more recently, she had some issues with getting a visa to come to the US. She's from uh, Piranha, Brazil. Okay, so here's where things get interesting. This is the interesting thing about Melissa. She trains at a, a gym called, I think it's called MSP in Rio de Janeiro. And the interesting thing about that camp is that it's an all-female camp, including the coach. How about that? Mm. That's interesting. Okay. So, not surprisingly, you probably never heard of the coach. Well, I have. Her name is Anna Michelle Tavares. You ever heard of her, Sean? Mm-mm. I have no? no? No. Okay. Anna Michelle Tavares was a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu champ in 2001 and then she fought in japan and she actually beat a legendary fighter on a deep show and that was yukatsuji okay 
then she fought in Brazil for a few years, and then she returned to uh, Japan, and she actually appeared on the final Smack Girl show in 2008, and she beat a fighter that we're all familiar with, uh, Lisa Warren. Okay? And that was at Strawway. So that was the final Smack Girl show. Smack Girl was going to close, and Deep bought it and turned it into Jewels and subsequently Deep Jewels. But um, they never called Anna Michelle to fight for them. And not only that, that's the last time she fought. Now, I uh, saw an interview with her on YouTube, I think around 2011 or something like that. And she doesn't know why they stopped calling her. She has no idea. Now, keep in mind, this was in the days before there was an Invicta. So there was really no place for her to fight, except possibly in Brazil. And I don't think she really wanted to do that. So what she decided to do was continue with her DJJ training and possibly doing competitions and stuff like that. And now it looks like she's going to be in the corner of this girl to, on uh, on uh, Saturday. So what do you think about that, Sean? I mean, it's cool because we don't have enough active or prominent female coaches in mixed martial arts. I mean, there might be women who who work with fighters, but they don't get the same run or the same uh, acclaim as the men who are doing it. And that's for male or female fighters. Um, outside of Arlene well, 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 no. The big one is Megumi Fuji. She still trains fighters. In, huh? She used to be a fighter. She already had a, she already had a name because she used to be a fighter as well. So that she, was that's tra- she, she was training fighters when she was an active fighter, even before. Okay? Well, Ayaka Hamas... Ayaka Hamasaki, for example, okay? And she still trains fighters at the gym she owns with her husband. Okay? Well, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's not, it never happened. It's just not as prominent. You know, we don't have a female. We don't have a – we have Trevor Whitman. We have Greg Jackson. We have Mike Brown. I can just list off a litany of multiple coaches who are not just well-known in this country, but well-known in other countries. With the female coaches, too, but you could probably name 10 or 15 male coaches that are – popular all over the world i can't do yeah there aren't that there just aren't that many of them and even in japan shout out to arlene sanchez who who coached the first uh flyweight champion yeah even in japan there's really only uh megumi and now ayaka is the head coach at acc so that's really about it yeah and um but anna michelle tavares i mean i was looking up uh uh, Ms. Melissa Gatto, because I wanted to, I knew who she was, but I wanted to remind myself of who she was. And then I looked up where she trains, and it's like, well, what do you know? She trains in an all-female camp, okay, led by Anna Michelle Tavares. And most fans have not heard of Anna Michelle, though I have, you know, but I've heard of her, right? <laughs> you know, you've always got, you've always got the uh, background information. It's something that separates you from a lot of other shows. People, you know, a lot of this background of the stories of things that most people just just kind of flirt with that kind of information. You can give people a lot of background that they can't get other places. Yeah, I, know, I don't I'm, know. I'm impressed. I don't know if Anna Michelle is going to be in uh, Melissa's corner on Saturday, but geez, I sure hope so. I'd love to see that. Yeah, it, it'd be it, like I said, it'd be a, it'd be a welcome change. We don't get enough of it. I'd be the first yeah. one to say we need to see. We need to. And especially over, I mean, not just over female fighters, but just fighters in general. But I personally would like to see more of that because there's two sides to the whole fight game. And I don't think both sides are nearly enough. 
But I, I looked up uh, Melissa's uh, Facebook page and stuff like that, and apparently it is an all-female camp. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm really, I'm really interested to see how this ends up going as far as long-term success and how they do, because I'm not saying it'll become ever become a really popular thing. I don't know that that'll ever happen, but I'm interested to see the results they get or the kind of fighters they get uh, moving forward. Like I said, Anna Michelle is is a BJJ whiz. She was back in the day. Uh, you know, it's just she never got the opportunity, you know, to, that the fighters today get. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the point that you've had. It, that's, that, that's what you're supposed to do. If you've had a bad experience, you're supposed to make moves or make sacrifices to enhance the experience for people following your path. But nobody wants to do that. They want to be the winner at the end. Be the winner to make change. So she had a bad experience. She's trying to make sure these other female fighters are given environments they can grow and environments where they're taken seriously. I just side note, I was talking to uh I talked to a couple of fighters and a couple of coaches and they told me a lot of these fighters, the female fighters and I've said this before, they're not being developed appropriately. They have a boy they start training and because the women's divisions are thin you can you could get a girl with three or four fights, and all of a sudden she's in the UFC. She's not prepared to be in the UFC, not mentally, not physically, not technically. Then she ends up getting beaten and kicked out, or just goes on a three or four losing streak, and then retires because they're they're not always taken seriously. These female fighters are not always taken seriously, and I've had concerns about that for years. I don't think some of the game plans they're given are good. I don't think some of the strategies and skills they're being taught are good, and I think they're just basically sometimes being used to fill out cards, or drawing more more work for the, the fight camp because like we get a bunch of women who want to be like our female UFC fighter, even though we don't really treat our female UFC fighter all that well. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you want to talk about? Or is that about it? Um, I, I just want to say one last thing. Nico Montano isn't a bad fighter. She actually has some skill set. She actually had some momentum coming off that show and, and she had a story and she, I think she had Maybe not become a superstar, but become some kind of a star. Schwan, but Schwan, yeah, Schwan. She had a, a a foot injury, okay, and I don't think it, it was possible to fix that, okay. Like I, I think they even tried to do surgery and stuff like that, and they weren't able to fix it. Like I'm not sure exactly what the problem is with her foot, but it's not something that can be fixed, from what I understand. Yeah, and I and I'm not even hard. My whole my whole point is, like, anytime you're in athletics, especially whatever sport it is, things can change very quickly. Like, or signing on to the UFC because they think they'll be world champion. You don't know what kind of injury you're going to be where you'll never be able to fight again, or you'll never be able to fight at the level you used to fight at. You have to be looking at the sport as a business and understand things change very quickly. It, the experience is great, the opportunities are great, but you can't think of it as a lifelong thing because these kind of jobs you can't. The life you can't do for 15 20 years. Most fighters aren't going to last that long. Dana White can do his year, his job for the next 20 years. Most fighters aren't going to get through 20 years as a fighter, it's just not going to happen. So, Nico Montano is a great example of somebody who was had momentum, had a kind of a story, had a chance to be a potential star, and it all fell apart because her body couldn't hold up. And it fighters need to look at and think about when they're signing contracts or, or when they're taking fights. That's just that's I think it's a great example. Yeah, well. It's unfortunate what happened. Anyways, that's about it for today. 
Again, don't forget to check out my blog at frankd316.blogspot.com and my other podcast, Frank Posey's Big Bad Podcast, which I'm going to bring back next week. Because uh, Sara is going to be on NXT. She's going to be facing uh, Ember Moon, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, If you have any uh, questions or comments for my blog or even my podcast, you can do so at Adrian Voicemail. And if you'd like to subscribe to my podcast, you can do so at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you later.